welcome to another episode of the Lodestone Training Consulting Podcast. I'm Jared Ross, and today, also with me is... Chris Johnson again. Outstanding. So today, what we wanted to talk about is the, the training that we did this past week. We did five days on the range, and we ran our personal security series. And it was a, I don't know, it was a pretty good week. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, a diversity of training. Uh, definitely changing things up and having that consecutive going back over similar concepts, but with different weapon systems, that was definitely something new that we haven't tried before. And I think it was a great success. Yeah, it was, it's different than our cephalic flat range that we run where the whole point of this is to give those individuals training based upon working in a confined area, working inside their home, working at their place of business, working at potentially at their, their house of worship or, you know, in that kind of environment. So the whole week was designed to give individuals the skill set and give them experience running pistols, rifles, shotguns, with drills based on that kind of an environment, which is a little different than, say, the, the standard or, or, or the regular classes that we run. Yeah, it was definitely focused more on that confined spaces, manipulating that weapon system uh, in a small box, and as opposed to normal traditional flat range where we're at the seven meter line ready up drills it was a lot of confined how do i move this what's the best angle to put my body hey i can't be in the right position that i know according to the fundamentals so what am i sacrificing for this position what do i need to emphasize more to gain more control over this weapon system yeah we are asked a lot by individuals as well as uh, different organizations, especially churches. We have a, a lot of uh, of churches or, or houses of worship who ask us about their security teams. What kind of training can we do? What kind of training should they receive? Um, what kind of live fire training? And that was really uh, we we've done it for some we've done it for some individual churches as well as some um, private groups. But we did this in a format so it was open enrollment so that anyone. Who wanted to they could come and they could partake of, of the training and we broke it down so either they could do the entire thing or they could pick and choose which days were most applicable to them and the way that we we set this up is the first day the primary focus was on pistol the second day the focus was on rifle the third day the focus was on shotgun the fourth day then was actually the students were working and moving in hallways and inside rooms, how to clear rooms, and really working as an individual. And then we did some work then also with, with two-man teams. And then the last day, Friday, was in a way putting some of those things all, you know, all together when they spent a little bit of time in the house. But the primary focus on Friday then was uh, trauma tactics, basically how to aggressively treat firearms or gunshot wounds. And first just like a classroom setting, and then we ended up spending time outdoors and, and out on the range where students had... Well, they had some good fun. I guess when we talk about the day, we'll get more in detail about that. But that really, the whole thing together as a package was designed to train up that person so that if and when they were to face something in their home with a home invasion or somewhere at work or business with an active shooter or even, you know, the worst case, I think, would be a, someone coming to a house of worship, which, you know, has happened in a lot of different locations, that we gave them the skills and we gave them the experience to really empower them to be ready to face those kind of threats in those specific environments. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the uh, the loops that we threw in there for people to start jumping through was throwing in the non-threat targets. 
those yeah those well, diff- let's we'll, we'll save that okay yeah, yeah we'll, we'll yeah. talk about that exactly. sorry i'm really proud of that one yeah as you should be there were yeah we got a lot of good positive feedback about that so we started monday morning last monday that was uh, september 7th and that day was was spent with pistol it's all we did was pistol work and we started you know, with the introduction and we talked about some of the different th- aspects of, of running a pistol and, and how to, to keep it in close and how to protect that pistol when, um, when you are facing those threats, so those unknown threats that are really up close and personal. And there's a lot of things, and one of my pet peeves, as a lot of people who've taken classes have heard me say, is like the draw. And how the draw makes a lot of sense in the competition world when you go from point A, the holster, to point B all the way out to full presentation, you know, in a straight line. And the validation is is speed. The validation is a pro timer. But when you're in a fight, you don't necessarily want to do that. The draw is a little bit different as we teach it. So you want to keep the, the pistol close to you so you can protect it. And that's why you, at one, you get it out of its holster. Two, you orient it immediately towards the threat. So if you need to shoot because the threat's right on top of you, you can shoot then. And then you go to position three, which is underneath your chin and at chest level. And then at position four, you push out to, to full presentation. And for some of the students, um, even though they've had prior uh, classes, whether you know from us or, or some other areas, um, actually well, students from other areas, that was kind of a new concept to them. They'd always like try to work against a pro timer and they want to go you know, as fast as they possibly can from holster to full presentation. And that's one of the things, or one of the first things we focused on that day was that difference. The reason why you don't want to do that is you want that pistol up close to you while you're drawing it and as you're getting ready to present it uh, so that so that you can protect it. You know, I think so much right now in the training community and just in general, you know, we have YouTube. Everyone gets so hung up on having that super tight shot group as fast as they can have that super tight shot group. And they're forgetting that we're training to fight against another thinking creature against paper. Yeah. All day long, but we're talking about someone that is moving, that is coming at us. That is a threat that we have to position our body. We have to maneuver around other creatures, other obstacles, other objects. And that's, I I think we did a really good job of bringing people into that level of thinking. Okay. You threw that round out. You got that shot off because that target was right on top of you. You didn't hit them in the heart or in the head, but you got them in the arm, which bought you time then to get out to full presentation and get that follow through shot. Whereas if you're, you know, slapping that gun gun up, trying to beat the clock, you're putting that gun between you and that person and they've closed that distance and they're slapping the gun out of your hand. You know, we, we really worked a lot on those fundamentals of fighting and fighting with the gun. Yeah. And that's, Quite often, that's one of the things that that's lost in 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 some other classes or you know some other uh, training institutions is the fact that you're in a fight. This is a martial skill. This is America's martial art. You know, gunfighting, and that's again that draw. That's it's important to reinforce that. The reason why we're doing that is because that threat is real and because that threat can be right on top of you. Protect that pistol, get it out, and and go to work. Um, so one of the very first drills that we did is we u- utilized those those poles. So do you want to talk everyone through uh, through what we did there with those poles? 
Yeah. So uh, now we're, we're assuming that you guys are familiar with the range we're talking about, but if you're not, at about the 25 meter line, there are poles that stick up out of the ground. And we put individuals about half a pace away from the pole so that if their arms were at full extension, it would have to go past the pole. They couldn't put their uh, their firearm into the pole. It was simulating being a wall or an, an object. And we had them transition from side to side, going from you know strong hand to weak hand and be alternating their shots. We were using the Rockwell targets where we have the, uh, you know, the shapes and numbers. We we're calling those out at the 25 meter line where people are having to find that target, identify that target, take a well-aimed shot. But then they had to transition to the other hand with a barrier, something in their way that they couldn't just swap hands. They had to bring that pistol back in and protect it. That pole could have been like, you know, an object. It could have been another person, uh, friendly or, you know, an adversary. Transition it to their, their weak hand, present out, good two-handed grip, using their weak eye, getting those shots off. I had never done that drill before. I love that drill. I think that is a great one to incorporate uh, because it really makes people think about what am I doing here? You know, it's again, it's easy to shoot at the seven meter line and put little tiny, you know, holes in paper. But we're trying to train for fighting. We're training to think. We're not just training to make confetti. Yeah. And with that setup, with that pole right there in your face and then us not allowing the students to back away from it, but they had to be there is basically it's forcing them to move around and and manipulate that that pistol around that pole instead of you know them having free movement and moving and then that's one of the things is in in these confined areas these confined spaces you're stuck if there's a wall there <laughs> unless you're gonna knock it down with a with a sledgehammer or a breaching charge you're, <laughs> you're stuck there and you're gonna have to make the best of that situation and it it was a great opportunity for individuals to find themselves not in the proper position and see how that affected them and then okay now i need to make that change so, you know, we, we talk about the eight fundamentals of shooting and they would find themselves not having a proper stance, not having a proper grip. What do I need to do to fix this? As an instructor, that's one of the ways that I judge a student is starting to grasp the concepts. When I look over and I'm about to say, fix your thumbs and they fix their thumbs Yeah, because they're doing that self-evaluation. And that was a great drill where they had to be constantly moving. They had to be constantly switching their grip up. They had to be changing their feet. They had to be thinking about all these different things. Plus they can't move. They got this stupid post in their face that they got to keep moving around and you know, it could be irritating, but they were starting to realize, Oh, this is what I need to do. This is what I need to fix. If I want to get that shot, that 25 meter shot, I have to do this. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a pretty good one. Uh, One of the other drills that we did that I, I thought was really beneficial. Again, we're using it was later on the day but we're using those uh, those poles is we put half of them down on the ground and then forcing them to to walk and move and, and, and to maneuver around those poles. But the way that it was set up, you had to either go as you're walking forward and trying to hit steel um, and walk around the pole to the right and then to the left. The pole was on the ground, so they had to step over it and then again force themselves around the next pole and just kept you know weaving in and out. It, it, yeah, it really forced people to understand that 
this is not a manicured flat range. We're not fighting on the soccer pitch. We are fighting in a house. We are fighting with obstacles. And, you know, th- those poles are great. They got that hinge on them. We were able to drop half of them down. So it was every other pole. Uh, they had something that was a tripping hazard. If you weren't paying attention to what you were doing, you were stumbling. Uh, I thought that was great to sit there and have them serpentine. Yeah. It, it was able to, in a safe manner, replicate real world scenarios. In a real world scenario, you're going to have things that you have to move around, whether it is people uh, objects. Oh, I know furniture. In my, in my house, it's laundry. And then the worst of the worst when you have bare feet, it's, it's the kids Legos. Those things are sitting there just waiting for you to step on them. So yeah. Yeah. And you know, I've known Jared for like 17 years. So when I first started coming up to Pennsylvania, I started bringing my children's Legos to Jared's house just because I love him that much. Uh huh. Two Rubbermaids full. I believe I have taken to your house. Yes, you have. Thank you. My, my, my feet. Thank you too. So that drill again, that was, that was really good. That was really, uh, helpful because again, a lot of times people that go to the flat range and yeah, um, you can do things with, with different barriers or, you know, every range seems to have an endless supply of those blue barrels that people we- weave in and out. But the addition of not only you're weaving, but now we're actually setting obstacles yeah, on the that, ground. The people, tripping hazard. Yeah. The, that tripping hazard is, and it, Yes, it was it was a predictable tripping hazard because, you know, we have safety. That is a definite concern that we have to have. We can't just put a jump rope out and pull it on someone's foot. You know, that that's now we're getting into hokey training. We want this to be realistic. We want people to start to think about that. We want them to be paying attention to what's at their feet, using their peripheral vision to scan and, and see what's around them and be aware of their environment. I'll tell you one thing that was really awesome about that drill. And we kind of saw it with the pistol, but we really saw it with the rifle is it got people off their sights. We preach so much about not looking down your sights. You know, you use your sight when you're coming on target, but when you're scanning for a target, you got to, you got to lower that yeah. weapon system. Yeah. That forced people to do it. So that's a good segue into talking about day number two. So the second day, the focus was on rifle, very similar class to the first day. Just, you know, some different techniques and stuff employed with, with the rifle. So as an example, when we use the, the poles, you know, same idea. They had to be close, you know, uh, I don't know, six inches away, pretty close to those poles. But now then they need to man- manipulate that rifle from the right shoulder over to their left shoulder in order to engage, you know, some, some different targets. Without backing up. Yes, yes, without backing up. So one of the biggest things that I'm sure the students learned and employed was the technique of of throwing the stock over their shoulder. So you're taking it back over your shoulder. So then you can maneuver the, the front of the barrel, you know, on, onto the other side and make that transition. And you know, that, that applies to so many different areas. I mean, whether we're talking about operating with a long gun in a vehicle, uh, we're talking about moving through a hallway, uh, you know, any, any confined space that you have, there are times that you have to be able to maneuver that thing left to right. Yeah. I, I remember I was doing a, a vehicle class uh, with the rifle and these guys, a bunch of the students had these SBRs, so these super short barrels, seven inch, 10 inches, 10 and a half inches, whatever. And they were having the hardest time maneuvering that SBR inside that car in order to get it out of the window or, or maneuver to where they needed to shoot. And I finally got to the point where I just, you, you guys are ridiculous. You're, you're not listening to me. You're not watching me as I'm demoing with your weapon. So let me grab one of mine. So then I went and I grabbed uh, my old standby my 
STG 58, my you know big FNFAL with, I don't know, like a 26-inch barrel on the thing. It's ridiculous. So I get into the front seat behind the, you know, behind the steering wheel, and I'm using that technique over the over the back of the shoulder, pushing out into the window, and I was doing it just fine. Like, look, knuckleheads, if if I can do it with this giant musket, your little SBR, you shouldn't have a, have a problem. So after they saw me, you know, manhandle that thing and, and do just fine, they were suddenly able to, to grasp the concept and grasp the uh, the technique, and you know, then they were finally able to, to do okay. There are so many jokes I want to make about size and knowing how to use it right now. Uh-huh. Well, you know. But that, there, that, there, that, there's truth to that, you know. That, that's for all those who are listening to the podcast. They, they can make the, those Okay. The joke themselves. Yeah. So we uh, threw in the extra difficulty of the no-shoot target. And we've done no-shoot targets with it. It's just a piece of paper or, you know, a picture of a friendly with a cell phone. Yeah, our, our, our sound guy, he's famous yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, people around the world are training not to shoot him right now. Um, <laughs> so we used a technique of having the mobile no-shoot target. I love it when we use this because it throws people out of their comfort zone. It gets people to move and change their body position, which is so key and so vital. We threw out helium balloons on strings and let the wind shift them back and forth. We would tie them to the targets. We'd put them in front of the targets. We'd put them behind the targets. And suddenly we have that, you know, we always talk about the, know it's in front of your target. That's right. Know what your target is. Know what's behind your target. And for the most part, because we're on a flat range that has a dirt berm behind it and we're shooting a paper target, people kind of forget that one. Yeah, they get you know? a little complacent with yeah, that. Yeah, well, I recognize there's no human being between me and the target. So one of the things that I like to do is everyone has to write a name on their balloon. I suggest a loved one because then people take it a little bit more serious. Uh, put that balloon out there in front of the targets. When one of the students... At the end of the day, the final drill, he's sitting there and I'm saying, shoot him in the head, shoot the target in the head, shoot the headshot, 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 headshot. He's close. He's right up on that target. Easy day to get that headshot. But he's got that balloon that is right behind the head and it just keeps floating around there, floating around there. And he got so focused on trying to obey my command and trying to move his body position so he could engage that that headshot. And when the time was finally there and he took that shot, but the wind shifted just as, as he took that shot and that balloon popped, he was devastated. Drops into the dirt. I mean, just, I thought the, uh, I thought a grown man was going to cry. Yeah. Because he took it so seriously. And it, that is, yes, he realized. And then I looked at him. I said, what should you have done? And he's like, I should have found an alternate shot. So how many times do we preach on the range? Hey, if you're doing a failure drill, it's body the head or the pelvic arch. That was a perfect opportunity to be like, I don't have a headshot. I have a non-threat. I have another human being that's in my way, but I can, I can move. You can move different angle or, or go for that, that and pelvic I can, girdle I can or get something. that pelvic girdle, which, yep. is a, which is a safe shot, which is an immobilization. And again, we're trying to train people to think about their gunfight, not just how to use the weapon system, but how to employ the weapon system against a thinking moving target in a dynamic environment where you have innocent people running around. If everyone thinks that, you know, the gunfight is going to kick off and it's going to be the okay corral where all of the, the audience goes off to the sides of the soccer pitch and they watch you two gun it out. You're wrong. You're going to have people running back and forth. Yeah. 
And you have to be able to assess that and understand what you're going to do. And rifle rounds, they go a long way. They sure do. One of the other things, one of the other drills that we did there, and we did it also with the pistol day, but, and that was working with, uh, with an innocent or working with uh, you know, a loved one or whatever you want to call it, a civilian, someone who didn't have a firearm and you needed to, to protect them and you needed to guide them and you needed to move together to a, a point of, of, of safety or to a point of, um, you know, to, to a better location. I think that every student that we ran through that drill said, I have to change the way I train with my family. Yeah. I have to implement this because I have small children. I have grandchildren. I have employees that don't carry guns. Yeah. And I could, I can realistically see myself in this situation. And it, it's something that I've practiced. And I know you have practiced with your family. How do I do it? I'm, I've got daughters. They know how they're supposed to, you know, whether it's holding onto my belt or putting their hands into the, uh, in between my shoulder blades and we've practiced it so that when that moment happens, we just go into it yeah. and we're ready to perform. So many people, well-intending people, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. So many well-intending people when they come to training and, and, and they participate in drills, um, a lot of them come, you know, with all their flair and, and then they come with, you know, dressed up like, I don't know, it, it's fantasy camp and they have all their kit on and everything. So, th- so when they're trying to say, we're going to train like we fight, so we're going to fight like we train. And they think that, you know, they've watched too much television or they've watched too much MMA and what's a fight? A fight is a controlled thing inside of an octagon where there's rules. Th- there aren't rules. And that's one of the, like you said, it's one of the good things about doing that kind of drill or, or similar drills is the reality is if it is a home invasion, if it is in your place of business, or if it is in your house of worship, there's going to be a lot of people moving around and you're going to need to know how to work with them and control them. And there are people who, like my, my mother, for the longest time, she was unwilling to use a firearm. She didn't have a problem with them, but with us having them, but she was unwilling. So we would have to work with her mom. Okay, so there's a situation's happening, a home invasion's happening. This is how you need to work and maneuver with me, or you need to work and maneuver with, with dad or, or whatever the case may be. These loved ones, these individuals, they need to know these, these things, these techniques. And, and like you said, I think to a person, everyone who participated in those drills, they said they're, they're going to take that information and that experience and take it home to, to their loved ones. So that there's an, at least they have an idea. There's an immediate plan when, when they're surprised by, by that moment. Absolutely. You, you talk about people showing up to classes and bringing, you know, plate carriers, racks, uh, ammo pouches, gun belts. We did a lot on Tuesday about grabbing or, uh, you know, that hasty grab the gun and you have to respond. And I talked about, do you have all your kit staged next to your gun? Are you going to take the time to throw that on? There, there are some people. They have that Minuteman's cross, you know, of wood next to their room or their bed or whatever. That and they train with it. That has and they the, train with it. has their plate carrier yes. on it with their belt and everything. Yeah, they're, they're ready to go. Nope. The vast majority of the people do not have that. Well, I gave the example of when I was in Turkey and uh, the coup happened in, in 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were on an Air Force base there, Incirlik Air Force Base. It's a, a joint NATO base. Um, coup kicks off. We're getting text messages of people in, in Ankara. They're videoing the, the, 
uh, helicopter shooting into the Ministry of Defense from their hotel. Like our guys are doing that. They're sending us the video they're filming. So we don't know what's going on. We collect everyone up. We all go to the headquarters building. And uh, what's the first thing I do? I get a gun, you know, because I'm an SF guy. I get an M4. I'm wearing blue jeans and a T-shirt. You know, I've got Solomon shoes on. Yeah, I have kit, but my kit's like in a storage locker on the other side of the compound. You know, I I don't know what's happening. I got to get a gun. That's my, my priority, you know. Uh, so I had a gun and I had two magazines that weren't in the gun, two spare magazines that were in my back pocket. And so I was like, based off of that experience, I want you guys to try this. How do you put your, where do you put your magazines? You know, Hey, do you, do you spend the majority of time at your house in basketball shorts? Where are you going to put your magazine in your basketball shorts? Yeah. Um, think about these things. Okay. There's no comfortable way of running around the house in basketball shorts with a magazine, dragging my basketball shorts down. So maybe I do want to have that Miniman, you know, rig next to my bed where I've got my AR and then I've got a, a rigid pistol belt with two magazine holders on it. I got the tacos. I've got magazines in there and I'm ready to go. Or like you run where you've got the, the two on the gun, mm-hmm. where you've got that 60 round, you got the clip that allows you to have two different ammo selections. And you also have right there in your hands, 60 rounds. And that was a, a thinking problem that we gave them. And I could see the wheels turning of maybe I need to think about the way I set my stuff up. You know, I come out to training and I'm practicing drawing out of my plate carrier that I don't ever use unless I come to training. Yeah, absolutely. You know, another thing that we did with both those days is probably more effective on, uh, um, on the first day with the pistols. And that was uh, one of those last drills where we threw down on the table. Mass confusion. Mass confusion, We put on the table all those different uh, – everyone put their pistol down. Plus, we added some various pistols on there with the magazines out. And everyone stood in front of their target. And then on command, go. Everyone had to run. And the only rule was you can't take your pistol. So everyone's grabbing unfamiliar it, pistols. It was kind of like musical chairs yeah. with <laughs> firearms. Of, yeah. Yes. The music stops. You've got to go grab the correct gun. With the or you got to grab a gun and the correct magazine for that gun. Yeah. Then run back, and it put it into action and, and put yeah. it into action. Yeah. Yeah, that that was good. So the third day, you know, day three was a shotgun day, very similar class to the first two days. We covered pretty much the same type principles, but the techniques, obviously, with the shotgun are are completely different in the way you employ it. And one of the biggest advantages or things you can do with the shotgun is is the ammunition selection. Absolutely. We, in our community, you know, coming from where Jared and I come from, uh, you think of the shotgun solely as that breaching tool. It's just a way of getting in the house. That's right. It's the master key. hundred percent. But there is a purpose for a shotgun, the ability to have the different ammunition types, be able to go back and forth between your, you know, your double out buck, your slugs, your bird shot, the different capabilities that assault they rock. have, assault rock. I mean, get, yes, absolutely. You can talk your your less than lethal um, capabilities that you have in a shotgun. I know in my personal experience, when I've run a shotgun, it was usually in a turret of a up armored Humvee. We would have the um, sting ball rounds, the, okay, the, the rubber yeah. buckshot, with the intent that if our vehicle is getting too crowded and someone's, you know, we need to create space, I have a less than lethal option. 
right there. I've got a pump shotgun that I can reach out of the turret and start start going to work with. Right on. So, yes, you have this great ability with the shotgun. And so the all the drills were based around that. Uh, one of the drills that we did particularly with shotgun that um, was similar but different was our near and far drills. So both Monday and Tuesday, we did the near and far targets where, mm-hmm. you know, you engage the near target, the immediate threat, and then engage the far target. Well, now with a shotgun, you have to think, hey, is my bird shot going to reach that far target? Or is my buckshot well, even well, going to re- reach that far target? Let me target? stop you just for a second. So we use a lot of birdshot in training because it's the cheapest thing to use, and it's simulating using that that buckshot. So I don't want anyone listening to to get the wrong idea. For, for reals, you're going to be you want to use that buckshot if you're going to be using it, you know, to, to defend yourself that and and the uh, and and the slugs. But really, that birdshot, it's just that that's training ammunition. So I'm yeah, sorry, yes, you're right. Yeah, hundred percent. That that I be able to cycle through. And understand what what I need to use for for that target. Um, so we would call out the targets and make the the individual shooter. We would tell them far target or steel target, and they would have to put the appropriate round in. So we worked a lot on that empty chamber reload. We worked a lot on keeping the gun fed. So you know, shotgun, unlike a pistol, you know, pistol we're all running around with 16, 17 rounds. AR, we're running around with, uh, you know, 30 rounds. Yeah. You, you come to the shotgun, I've got eight rounds, or I've got five rounds, or i got three rounds. Uh, so it, it, those drills really became important in understanding where on your body to hold your shells, where on your gun to hold your shells, and, and how to grab those shells and feed into that gun and working through those processes. And then understanding that, hey, I might need to put a different type of ammunition that target is further away from me, so I need to use that sl- that rifled slug. So I'm going to go ahead and I will throw that into the tube and then rack out that buckshot because that's worthless to me right now. I need that far target and rack in that slug shot and get that that hit. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that is a great drill. And that is a great use of that system, you know, using it to your advantage. I know another drill that we did on all three days in each system. And that was going through uh, what we call a glass house. So basically what it is, is you're putting engineer tape down or using cones or using something to represent a square room. And then you're setting up a, a doorway, center fed door or a corner fed door. So that way everything's open and everyone can, can see what's going on. And we just had the students practice entering into that room and then moving to uh, to a point, moving to a corner, basically to the point of domination. So as this person was going in, we demonstrated and, and then we could watch and observe them to make sure that they were, were looking where they need to look, make sure they're actually clearing that room with their eyes as they're seeing every, everything in there while they're moving to the point. And then at the same time, getting rounds off on, uh, on a steel target or, or a paper target or whatever while they're doing that. And what's nice about the flat range where we're at is you can angle that room however you want to, and you then you place that target where it's completely safe with with the uh, the berm, the backstop there. So then you're you're manipulating how they're approaching and how they're doing that room, and you're manipulating how they're walking or the direction that they're walking. But then 
enabling them to shoot in a safe direction in a safe direction so it's really maximizing the use of that flat range and that training really is just invaluable so many people watch movies way too much watch television shows way too much they think they know the right way to do stuff and it's just you know simply wrong i'm still waiting to do a somersault into a room through the window yeah with Uzis because I grew up in the 80s and I know it's possible. Yeah. I just, I haven't found the range that will let me do that yet. One of the biggest misconceptions or, or things that people do wrong is when they're entering that room or when they're looking for targets, looking for threats, they're doing through, through looking through their sights. They have that gun up, whether you're, you're out of position four and you're looking through, I don't know, those those iron sights of your pistol or, or your red dot with your pistol or or you have that that rifle and it's up and that's just absolutely wrong you need to and what we kept trying to preach to people and get them to do is they need to lower that weapon down to a ready position that's why we have ready positions so that now their eyes and their head are free so their eyes and head can actually move and look and and see what they can see and the beard must be able to sweep the buttstock <laughs> yes yes everyone um, needs to grow a beard it, it helps so much with the rifle or with a shotgun. A if, beard helps. Well, no, not really. Uh, that's what maybe the hipsters might want to think. Uh, but uh, no, no, the beard. If anything, the beard, it, it, you know, it hinders you. Because uh, I've seen you when you've caught one of your little beard hairs in, in the stock of your rifle. And I've seen you cry like a, a child, shall I say. Uh, because it hurts so much. I wept for my beard hair. Yes. 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 I, it wasn't out of pain, it was out of the loss of that magnificent beard hair. That is correct. So, you know, one of the things that I really liked on shotgun day using the glass house is it forced people they had a limited round capacity. It forced people to find that other target. You know, we'd have two targets set up for them to engage. They would engage that first target and then realize I've got to engage something else. They wouldn't get sucked into seeing, seeing that site. And, you know, I don't know if it was because they didn't have a site, you know, they were running open sites or something mm-hmm. like that, but um, they wouldn't just continue to pepper that one piece of steel that was and walk right into that corner. Well, there's still a threat off to their left side uh, with the shotgun. They would engage that target and realize, Oh yeah, I have to continue to move my point of domination but I can slowly start to clear the rest of the room. Oh, there's the other threat and engage that other threat. It seems, you know, I don't know if it was because this was day three for some of the people or if this was, um, probably for, especially for those who it wasn't day yeah. three, it's with that rifle. All I need to do is just keep on squeezing that trigger. So repeat, it's so repeat, much repeat, easier. Repeat. Yeah. yeah. And so you get sucked in so much, so yeah. much quicker where at the shotgun year, you have to do so much more to manipulate. There's so much thinking going on. It was easy almost to add in that other step. Oh, yep, I got that guy. I need a transition now and and work the rest of the room. Yeah. I, and, and to start start that drill, you know, having taught, I don't know, I couldn't tell you how many hundreds of people, military and, and otherwise, how to enter rooms and stuff. It really pays to do it dry. It really pays to do it without a weapon and pop off those, uh, those sunglasses so people are just going and watching them, you know, watching their eyes. Because so many people, again, movies, they're, they're, they're stuck with, I, I walk as a giant tank turn and I move my whole body with my waist as, as I'm looking. You know, it's, it's not the case. So by watching their eyes and telling them, you know, to look and to move, um, it, it really helps them out. So they can actually clear that room visually within the first one or two steps into the room instead of 
slow looking through those sites as you know now they're almost getting all the way to their point of domination before they're actually now starting to look and and see the rest of the room but those glass houses uh they're 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 a good invaluable uh teaching tool absolutely you know in in iraq i had blown up buildings i had all sorts of training areas to go train my iraqis on and i would right in front of one of those great buildings i would still put up engineer tape yeah and i'd still have them go through one, I'm able to watch them, but two, their buddies are able to watch them and see what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. So everyone in the whole group is getting all that information. So when I make a correction, everyone's seeing why I made that correction. And it, it's reinforcing for everyone involved. You can't underestimate the, uh, the value of a glass house. I know that it's kind of hokey and sometimes we make the joke about, oh, it's another tape house, it's another engineer house. But it is so worth it. Yeah. And even if you're not, you know, having the ability of shooting uh, live rounds is is phenomenal. And actually going through and working the weapon systems is is great. Even without, just like you said, going without a gun and just understanding that they are using their eyes. And it's eyes, head, body, gun. Yep. And reinforcing that in that. It's great. Well, you just reminded me of it. Really, as long as the instructor knows what they're doing, you can teach so much with with, with the minimalist amount of, of equipment. You don't even need a firearm necessarily to teach some of these techniques. And really, the difference between a good instructor and someone who just trying to make it up as they go, it'd be like, you know, glorified games of paintball instead of, of, of real training. And that's, that's what we want. We want that real training. Again, like we've started from the beginning, we're trying to teach people how to play chess, not not checkers. So we had the first day was pistol, second day rifle, third day was was shotgun, and then the fourth day was all spent in in uh, in actually movement and 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 clearing rooms. So what we did is we used it's it's a mobile shoot house. We've used it like in our cephalic flat range. We've used it some other times, and we're going to be continuing using it. And what it does is it allowed us to take a range set up on an angle with 90 degrees and then by carefully uh, setting up the house with a hallway and then various rooms coming off of it and, and with the t-intersection we were able to turn that 90 degree range basically into about a 180 degree a live fire shoot house so we weren't trying to stop any of the rounds we didn't have any bullet traps or anything like that we were freely shooting through those rooms and, and the way it was set up but it was done so that everything was, you know, with the safety and how we configured the targets and everything, all the rounds and all the shooting were going into those berms. And the great lessons that were used there, again, we used the balloons. So we had the no-shoot targets in there. Bullets go through walls. And, there, you know, there was a couple times where, well, I didn't know there was anything behind it. That's right. That, that's you, real life. Yeah, it's real life. You have no idea what is, is beyond that. And, you know, it brought up those discussions of, you know, Round selection. Do you use that super hot armor piercing load for home defense that is probably going to leave your house and go into the next? Or do you choose to use something that is going to frange? Or do you choose to use a different caliber because it's a home defense situation? Do I need to be able to make a 200 meter shot in my house? What's the longest shot in my house? Uh, Okay. I feel that the threat is this much for, you know, armed or armored intruders. You know, the, the guys that robbed North Hollywood, uh, they're going to come into my house. 
then I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to set up traps and bullet traps and I'm going to have angles for, you know, this is where I'm going to set my house up. Yeah, we get into a lot of that stuff uh, in in our uh, home defense that, you know, seminar and the, uh, the terminal ballistics coming yeah, up. Yeah, that, that's well. a, another class that we talk a lot about that stuff in. So with the house set up, then we were able to first dry, you know, w- without any ammunition, we had the students then were able to go into the house and whether they want to use a pistol or they want to use a shotgun and, or they want to use rifle. And actually, since we had students and all three of those prior days were there, the, all three different systems yeah, were we, used we did house. have all three different. Yep. Yeah. So we had them, you know, do a progression of drills and, and taught them how to clear. You know, why did they want to go to uh, to a specific corner as their point of domination? What made the most sense? And then with each successive round of, of drills, we started making the problems a little bit more difficult, a little bit more difficult, a little more difficult. Adding furniture in. Yeah, adding furniture, add, adding in um, yeah, different barriers and giving them problems that there really were no... Perfect yeah, answer. There was no no perfect answer. There was, you know, there were okay and there were good solutions yeah. too, and there were some bad ones. Yeah, which made them think. Yeah, and they're realistic. They, it wasn't like I'm going to give you this horrible scenario where there is no right answer and you're just going to feel stupid. We gave them there are a lot of bad things going on here. How best to solve this? People got a lot of confidence when they came through that and like, yeah, I. I, I I turn the corner and, ah, I wasn't expecting that. Okay, I have to do something. And I, we preach all the time. You're not going to rise to the occasion. You're going to fall back. And they fell back to what they had learned all week long. And they used those techniques. Suddenly, they, they turn into a room and there's a barricade that is right in front of them with a target right off to the left. And they have to transition. They have to use that same drill that they did in the very beginning, day one, just like simulating on that post, transition the side. Because they had trained it, they were able to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I think everyone were, uh, everyone was, was impressed. Well, at the conclusion of that day, a lot of people made mistakes, but you know that's that's why they come and train. Yeah, I mean that's what we're supposed to do in training. Yeah. You know, if we're leaving the range and we feel good about ourselves, did we really train or did we just you know go and show off? Yeah. I mean, I can go out and shoot right-handed all day long, but I need to work on my left hand. Yeah. I need to work on my weak hand. I need to make those improvements. Well, one of the one of the ones that was horrible that, that the way I set it up, where we had the one shoot target, and then I had four balloons that were all bouncing around in front of it. And what I kept thinking was, okay, I'm I'm at church. Absolutely. Somebody jumps 100%. in. 100%. And then now we've got everyone in the pews who are standing up trying to, to rush and get out of the way. And, and I'm armed. And here I need to defend my, my fellow brothers and sisters at church against this armed intruder. And, yeah, so with those balloons bouncing all around, uh, that that irritated some – well, irritation, that's not the right word. That uh, frustrated uh, It made a, a people think. Yeah. It made people – you don't get that immediate shot. We're so used to on the flat range, you know, the whistle blows or we say threat and bam, they're able to take that shot. There are times that you don't get that first chance. Mm-hmm. You have to move. It's, you may not be in the ideal position because of the civilians on the battlefield. Yeah. And with that shot too, the way that we had had it set up, they saw a glimpse of it out in the hallway 
they can take the shot now, but the, 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 all the balloons bouncing around, that that's you know that's kind of rough. It's a sketchy shot. S- some people tried to take it. Some were successful. Some weren't. Um, also, get into the room, and immediately then you could take a shot there. It was still wasn't the best. And the, the easiest way to take the shot was to get into the room, then get over to actually one of the corners. is a little bit clearer there. And again, not saying that was the right solution, but we through the way that was set up, everyone had the opportunity to make that decision for themselves. Individual shooter solution. Yep. That was really good. And another thing with that house too is purposely set up a T intersection and man, nothing stinks more than to be by yourself. And I've looked as far as I can down the right side of the hallway. I've looked as far as I can down the left side of the hallway. Then at some point, if I need to go, then I just need to commit. And you're going into the unknown with threats to your right and to your left. And, you know, so this is, uh, a point that I, I was asked this question, what's the best way to do something like that? And, you know, is it, is it using a shield? Is it, you know, putting it, you know, two guns in your hand, crazy ideas. And I thought of, well, you know, when I was deployed, I had that, that, uh, recon, uh, robot little, it looked like a toilet paper tube with, uh, fins on it. Yeah. And you could throw that thing and you could drive it and you could see they make uh, 360 fly is the company. They make a 360 degree camera that has a weight you can screw on the bottom. And it basically turns it into, um, you can throw it out like a hand grenade and it will land face up. And now you have on your phone a way of looking. So you could throw that into a room. Now there's furniture. It's going to be limited what you have, but we're talking like $600 and you're gaining capability. It's not like it's out of people's reach. Yeah. It's not like, well, this is only for LE or military. If someone is really concerned about finding themselves in that situation, there are technical means that you can get and get your hands on. Um, I know a lot of people don't want to put camera systems in their house because, well, I don't like pe- the potential people looking at me. I mean, I cover up my webcam, stuff like that, or, you know, whatever. This is something that isn't always on that you can just have, you know, you know that there's some sort of dead space in your house that there's no real good way of covering it. You could have this stationary and stand by where you pitch that thing out there and there you go. Yeah. That's a good solution. Uh, when, when I was asked, what would you do? What, what, what's the best way? I'm like, well, the best way for me is not to go into the T intersection. <laughs> I'll go back somewhere away for him. But then there's always that maybe they're at a necessity. I need to go in there. Maybe, How do I get to my kids? Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm hearing a loved one who, who's in distress, who's being assaulted. Um, you know, what do I do? So there's, we offer different, you know, solutions and different ideas. And for everyone though, who made the decision, okay, I'm going to that, that, that hallway. It, it, it stinks. But overall, that was, that was a great day. And it was nice to take all those things that people learned the first couple of days. And then now, like you had said, now, now they're applying it inside and, and learning from that experience. That was, yeah, it was a great day. And I, few people have that opportunity to do that kind of training. All right. So on day five, it was really different than the rest of the days because now we're not really shooting. That's not the focus. Day five was dealing with and teaching trauma tactics it's one of the most beneficial things that I think we, we do and, and that we teach. Uh, me as, as a Green Beret, yeah, I've been in some gunfights. Yeah, I know how to shoot. Um, that, uh, you know, really, it's one of those dreams that you know, I'm at the mall, then I hear that noise, and then now I get to, to put all those skills to use, and I get to go, you know, smoke the bad guys and save lives. Yeah, that, that romantic, you know, dream. But the reality is, because I'm 
also a SOCA medic. And because I've been trained and I know how to, to save lives and I know how to, to do the, you know, those, um, stopping blood loss and, and all those life-saving procedures, those are actually the skills that I've utilized since I've, I've left active duty. I've never had that opportunity or never had that situation that, that I've been in since, you know, since I left active duty to, uh, to get in any kind of a gunfight. But I have been that first person who's arrived on the scene of a car accident. I've been that person right there when there's been some other kind of accident. And those are the skills that I've been able to actually employ and to help and to, you know, save lives until EMS arrives or, or whatever the situation might be. So I've always been passionate about teaching those life-saving skills. And that's really what, what Friday was all about. And Friday was divided kind of in half. The first half we were teaching in a classroom setting different uh, you know, different life-saving skills. We, I'm a really big believer in March, in the March protocol. And Dustin, our our uh, medic or our instructor who was teaching that, um, he really led that class. And in March, for those of you who, who don't know, March stands for massive bleeding, airway, breathing, circulation, and then head wounds or, or, or hypothermia. Um, and really that's the order in which you want to, to treat people. Why? Because that's the order in which it'll kill people. A uh, person's going to die first of massive bleeding. So let's take care of that. The next thing that they'll, will kill them will be uh, a compromised airway. They, they can't breathe. So then we treat that followed by breathing complications, a sucking chest wound or tension pneumothorax or, or, or something like that. That'll be the next thing. And then followed by, by circulation, those slow bleeders, um, venous bleeding. So then that's when we treat that. And that's when we get systematic and we start treating uh, checking people and treating them head to toe, you know, treat as you go, as we're in a systematic way now, making sure that they're okay or finding out what, finding out what injuries they have. And then the last thing that we treat, the last thing that would, would kill a person is hypothermia, or if they have some kind of head injury or something, then we go ahead and, and, and we treat them there. So it was first in a classroom setting, teaching those things and teaching those principles and helping the students gain a, a grasp of that. Then afterwards, then we, we went outside and got a little hands-on. Yeah, we went, we went back to the, uh, the shoot-through house and uh, we started having scenario-type situations. We focused primarily on MAR. Instead of going through the whole march, that way we get more reps in. We focused on that immediate, you know, you have that threat take care of the threat. Okay. Threat is down. Now I have a wounded individual, massive bleeding, getting that, that taking care of that tourniquet on whatever needs to be done. And then moving that, that casualty to a safer location, whether that is into a room out of the hallway or, uh, you know, out of the building that, that there's a bad guy in and then going through the rest of the sequence. So we've taken care of that massive hemorrhaging. Now we're, we're establishing airway because, you know, we got to them in time to get that, that bleeding stopped. Now we have some time to establish that airway. Airway is established. And now we're going to go ahead and check respiration. So we, we stuck with the MAR. Getting more reps in because now at this point, you know, we did the classroom portion. We went the whole thing. We explained everything, um, the different techniques and everything involved. Now in scenario, we want to get that beating it in people's heads to resolve the threat first. You know, it does no good if there's still that active, uh, you know, killer and I'm trying to treat a patient and he comes in and kills me. Now I'm, now I'm doing no good there. So resolving the threat 
and then performing immediate action, which is stopping that that uh, massive bleeding, that massive hemorrhaging. One of the great things that Dustin did was the blood lab, where he you know he took a a liter of water and poured it out on the the floor so people could understand. Okay, this is what a liter looks like. Uh, you know, a liter of blood will look like. It's a lot of blood. But in comparison, it doesn't mean that this person necessarily is dead. You know, there is still there's still a lot of fluid in the tank here that we want to keep in there. It's going to look bad. Um, and I think that was kind of eye opening for a lot of people that were there seeing, oh, that, that is that is a lot that 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 could be terrifying. Mm-hmm. You know, if I yeah. came up on a victim and man, there's like a six foot puddle there's nothing left in this guy. Well, no, actually there is a lot left in the guy and let's keep it in there. Let's keep it on the inside. Um, a lot of tourniquet applying, a lot of tourniquet applying to yourself, a lot of tourniquet applying to your buddy, uh, having a conversation about how you prep your tourniquets. Do we have them where they're pre looped? And well, yeah, it's pre looped. That's really easy when I'm putting it on my arm right now, which is, you know, in perfect condition. It's not broken. Uh, if I have had an injury, you know, a blast injury or it's been shot or something, it's bad that I need to put a tourniquet on. Most likely that, that skeletal structure is not there supporting it. So I'm trying to loop something around what now is my arm that is a spaghetti noodle that's bending all over the place. It becomes kind of difficult. So there's, you know, value and training of having your tourniquet unlooped mm-hmm. and, and practicing putting it on like a belt and how to do that. As opposed to, well, it was really easy when I was practicing with a good arm, and now I don't have a good arm. So how do I do this right now in this in the time where uh, my arm is spaghetti noodle? Yeah. So we had a lot of good conversations. A lot of good thoughts were had by by individuals, and like you said, this is the stuff that statistically you're more likely to use. We all have the potential of coming upon a traffic accident. Where, you know, it doesn't have to be an active killer situation. It could be anything. You know, a kid walks in into the street and gets hit by a car. Because I have training and I have equipment, I can save a life. Yeah, absolutely. That that kind of training, this, you know, march training, stop the bleed, all, all that stuff that's essential for, for people to have. That's, you know, for church security groups, teachers in a classroom parents whatever there are definitely those situations where in circumstances where it really it's a matter of life and death and we get the question all the time how do i get my like significant other into this you know like i want my friends to come to training well they're not gun people it's it's kind of hard but you know what everyone's people people yeah and what this class is about is saving people so it's very easy to Get those people that uh, maybe they're not too terribly excited to go to a gunfighting class. We say, oh, I'm not going to fight. But you can train them to save lives. And, you know, this applies to office staff. You know, like you make the, the comment about the church security. It goes beyond the church security. This goes to the entire congregation. Yeah. Everyone needs these skills. You, it really turns you into a, into a force multiplier. Absolutely. Really. Because if, if there is an active killer event. Or if there is another bombing, like like the Boston uh, bombing, something like that. Well, EMS is not going to get on scene until the scene is declared safe. That could be a long time. So while you're there waiting with injured people with this kind of knowledge, 
you can save their lives. You, you can keep multiple people alive by following these simple procedures and these simple techniques until the scene is safe, until help can arrive, until EMS can finally get there on scene. And then now that you've stabilized the bleeding, you, you've opened their airway. You've used these life-saving procedures to keep these individuals alive. You pass them on to a higher level of care. And you know that's there's nothing more rewarding than that. Absolutely. Again, this is uh, everyone can do this. This isn't a, a, oh, well, I don't have the money for ammunition or, you know, I'm not interested in firearms. Medical classes, they don't require anything but your willingness to go and take them. Yeah. And your willingness to say, you know, I am going to save a life. Absolutely. So we've just spent you know, a little bit of time, almost an hour talking about last week, our personal security series. We went through all five days and really, you know, together, it's, it's just such good training for all those you know individuals and people that we've talked about, whether it's, it's parents, whether it's a people in business, security teams for church or, or whatever, the whole concept and the whole idea of this week's worth of training is to one teach how you know teach proper firearms principles and manipulations inside a confined area in your business in a church and in your home then we taught some of the tactics of how to actually clear rooms how to get into rooms how to open doors how to go through hallways and do it you know there's good ways and then there's better ways and we try to teach those those better ways and then we wrapped it up like we've been talking about with with this medical training and the whole package i thought the whole week was just was phenomenal the, the students i went through they are definitely more empowered and and better today than what they were at the beginning of that week yeah we we put them into those difficult situations and they got to see ways out of those situations uh they grew that that's the biggest way I can say it, is they grew out of this. Yeah. Um, when we got done with the cephalic, I thought that was phenomenal. You know, that five days, good block of instruction. And we had a lot of the students there say, this is the best bang for my buck. I would definitely say that about this course as well. Yeah. You know, well, the, we had one student who went through that cephalic class. Yes. And then he went through all five days here and, he learned a lot in both, but I, I know that he certainly appreciated this one a, a little bit more, especially uh, after he tagged that, that balloon. Tagged that balloon. Yeah. And that's a lesson that he now has. Yeah. He will always remember that alternate shot. Yep. There's a reason why we train it. And that's the difference from training on the flat range, making paper targets into confetti, and then putting it into actual proper scenarios. And I'm not talking like goofy scenarios where I want you to stand on one foot. I'm going to put a tourniquet around your neck and I'm going to catch you as you're passing out because that's la la land. You know, that, that that's not based in reality. I'm talking about scenarios that are based in reality, things that make you think things that when you leave the range and you're driving home, what could I have done better? Yeah. And that is how we improve when we have those questions, not, Oh man, that really sucked. Oh, that was a really miserable experience. Misery is misery. I want people leaving my ranges thinking, how could I have done that better? That's how I could have done that better. That's how I'm going to do it next time. And then coming back and doing it next time and seeing if that works. Yes, that worked. Awesome. Now I have that technique. It's in their tool bag. 
they're ready for that gunfight because I'm not going to be there with them in that gunfight. Yeah, it's going to be their gunfight. It's, it's going to be their gunfight. Yeah. They've got to do it. And I want to empower them. I want them to be successful. I want them to send me that email and be like, Chris, you wouldn't believe what just happened. Right on, brother. Good. I'm glad you're still alive. I'm glad that worked for you. That is a extremely rewarding email to receive. And, and you have received yes, that email. Yes, I have received that email uh, a couple of times. That's. I know I mentioned this at our first podcast where uh, how proud... I was to be able to look my grandfather in the eye and let him know that there's some people who learned the hard way that he taught me how to shoot. Uh, that was a pretty proud day, but man, it was, it's more rewarding to have people return and, and say that same thing about you. You, you taught me, this is my fight. This is what happened. I'm alive because of you. Um, that's yeah. I can't even describe that. So one last thing before we, we go, uh, we, because of how, how well this was received. We're definitely going to be doing this again. And we have it scheduled to do it at LCPCPC in Lebanon County next year. It'll be August 9th through the, uh, through the 13th, uh, 2021. So if you're interested in this, Hey, you know how to sign up. You're, you're listening to this. So you know who we are. Um, but also this class or any of these classes, if you, your church security group or whatever independent or private group want this training or any, anything similar to it, we can definitely uh, you know contact us. We can definitely talk to you and we can customize it to you and to your needs. So thanks again for, for listening to us. We appreciate you and we'll, we'll talk to you next time.